0: Net zero is in every sustainability conversation. Met with enthusiasm, then skepticism, the big question still missing a concrete answer is how?
1: The scale of pledge and target setting is really exciting and really impressive, but the
0: underlying theme to that is we also very quickly need to go from that to performance.
2: Welcome to How to Net Zero, a podcast by impact verification organization SustainCert, looking at net zero through the lens of those who work to make it happen.
1: What interventions can deliver the most meaningful change? How do we account for
0: greenhouse gas interventions in our supply chain if we're launching them? How can we accurately translate data from upstream interventions into downstream scope three reporting? In each episode, we explore implementation challenges with industry experts climate frontrunners, carbon gigs, and dive into promising approaches or innovation that can help overcome them.
2: Welcome to the second episode of our first series of How to Net Zero. I'm your co-host, Lucy von Sturmer. We kicked off our series on navigating climate claims with our first episode focused on getting clarity on the wide spectrum of climate claims. Together with my co-host Marianne Ver and our guest Edward Hanrahan, we explored the different types of climate claims, what they mean, and what companies should consider before making a claim. I am joined again today by my co-host Marian Ver, CEO of Sustainsit, and Alberto Carrillo, co-founder and chief technical officer of the science-based Targets Initiative. To talk about net zero and before we dive into the how let's just make sure we all understand what net zero is Marianne let's dive into it right away I wanted to start with something that has been a point of friction in much of the recent news around net zero pledges and the backlash on corporates who are making these pledges the new climate institute and the carbon market watch launched a corporate climate responsibility monitor that looked at 25 of the world's biggest companies that have pledged some form of zero emissions target. And they found that just three clearly commit to deep decarbonization over 90% of their full value chain. So there seems to be an overwhelming consensus behind zeroing out emissions and a willingness for companies to commit to this. So I'd like to first get your take on why the challenge still remains in understanding what net zero really is.
0: Defining net zero is a challenge, yes, Lucie. And the primary reason for that is simply that carbon accounting is complex on one hand, and it's new on the other hand. It's complex because it basically needs to mirror Earth's biological processes, and at the same time, be fit for purpose in a market economy. And it's new if you compare it, for example, with the timeline we've been through for financial accounting. The process to standardize financial accounting started back in the 30s in the US after the stock market crash. At that point, the New York Stock Exchange formed a Committee on Accounting Procedure, and this led many years later to the launch of the IFRS Foundation in 1973. So since then, we've seen increasing adoption of IFRS globally, and it took 50 years to get there. You could say it took 100 years to standardize financial accounting if you look back to the 30s, and clearly we don't have 100 years to get carbon accounting right. We need it now, and that's why I'm extremely excited about three developments, which I think will mark a turning point in creating a global set of carbon accounting standards. One of these recent developments, I would say, are regulatory developments across the EU and the US. Both regions are strengthening climate-related disclosure requirements for corporates. So we've seen the recent announcement from the SEC back in March, right? And the EU is ahead of the game, ahead of the US in that respect, and is planning actually to further strengthen its directive on non-financial reporting. So there's increasing regulatory pressure from the US and the EU. The second development, which is definitely going in the right direction, is the launch by the same IFRS that I was talking about a minute ago, of the International Sustainability Standards Board. So the IFRS is going beyond financial accounting and is now looking at standardizing non-financial reporting, starting with climate and going beyond climate. I think it's a major step towards significant increasing the quality of climate reporting. And finally, the, the recent development that I would cite here is the announcement by the UN chiefs, Antonio Guterres, of the creation of an expert panel task two. And I quote here, develop stronger and clearer standards for net zero emissions pledges. For me, this is a turning point because when an issue gets attention at those levels and when decisions are made at those levels, it usually gets solved.
2: Well, that's promising. (laughs) Back to corporate climate pledges. In your view, what are the key issues that do need fixing?
0: I would start here, Lucy, by looking at the glass half full, right? I think it's important to also acknowledge positive progress going on. And it's really incredible to see so much momentum from the private sector. Uh, We cannot overstate the importance of all these leading companies taking on net zero pledges. It's simply unprecedented. So it's important to, to acknowledge that. Now, clearly, all these net zero pledges are far from being perfect, right? So what's wrong with them? I would say there are four main issues, and this is echoed in the corporate climate responsibility monitor that you were mentioning at the start. So one problem is the fact that most of those commitments or pledges are based on incomplete disclosure. Many companies do not report scope three emissions, which are indirect emissions, and those very often represent the lion's share of emissions. It's usually 80 or 90% of a corporate footprint. If you take a corporate in the food and agriculture sector, for example. The second problem is that there's really often a mismatch between the promise to reach net zero uh, at some point into the, into the future and the fine lines, which usually don't add up to net zero. The third problem is lack of clear action to reduce now. We're still not seeing the levels of action we need to stay well below two degrees and ideally below one and a half degrees. And finally, the fourth problem is the use of instruments like offsets, which have a lot of potential and can drive finance to projects that truly need it. But very often those instruments are not used properly or are not of the quality you would expect. So in this second episode, what I wanted to do is really dive into the definition of net zero and understand what it takes to make a credible net zero claim and overcome the issues that I just mentioned.
2: Marion, could you share a little bit more about our guest today and his role in driving forward climate action?
0: Yes, Lucy, it's a a real pleasure to have Alberto Carrillo with us today. Uh, Alberto has been a pioneer in climate action for many years. Alberto, we've met each other the first time in 2015. Uh, when you co-founded the Science-Based Target Initiative in Paris. I remember that very well. Uh, you've been active uh, in climate action for, for many, many years. So so maybe to get us started, Alberto, would you describe yourself as an activist?
1: Thanks, Marianne. Thanks for the introduction. And yeah, definitely. I think I consider myself an activist. And I would say, as as many of us, the ecosystem, I believe that for us to achieve our climate goals, and our student goals, we need to bring the corporate sector and the financial sector on board. So I could myself as an activist because I'm driven primarily by our mission. But I, I want to find a way to bring the key stakeholders that are needed for this transformation.
0: Thanks, Alberto. And, and as part of the science-based target journey, you faced a number of successes. It's now strong of of a few thousand companies that are committed to either science-based target or net zero. Uh, And with success also comes criticism. So we'll talk about some of them. But before we go there, I just wanted to to get your perspective on, on the definition of net zero. So in our first episode, we had Ed Hanrahan as a guest. And I believe you know Ed from Climate Care, and now called Climate Impact Partners. He's been part of our ecosystem for many, many years. So Ed walked us through the definition of net zero, taking roots in the Paris Agreement, the balance between emissions and sinks, the difference with carbon neutrality, which is a state carbon neutrality that you can reach in a given year, Whereas net zero is a future state that we will reach. And it's it's a definition of net zero that is still quite not necessarily controversial, but creates a lot of debate because the scientific community really defines net zero as the global level. And so my question to you is: how do we reconcile the fact that net zero is a global target that we have shared across all of us as a global community of, of people and organizations? And actually, a corporate cannot reach net zero unless the world as a whole reaches net zero. So, how do we reconcile that tension between a global target that we need to reach together as a community and the target that a company can have uh, as a discrete uh, set of resources and making
1: specific decisions? Thank you, Darren. Yeah, very very good question. I think... First of all, as you said, net zero is a physical concept, right? It's something that comes from biophysical sciences, and it's clear that we want to stabilize global warming when it reaches a state in which, basically, we continue to function as humanity without continuing to add carbon to the atmosphere, right? The concept is very simple. We need to continue to coexist with our planet without adding carbon to the atmosphere, without transferring carbon from our biosphere, our forests, our soil, or our underground to the atmosphere. And I would say as a concept, I think it's very clear, right? Because that is yeah, basically the key goal that we need to achieve. And so I think as a transformation, of course, what it means is that we need to evolve our economy. And we need to find a way to continue to satisfy the needs of the population. We need to continue to satisfy the development of our population in a way that doesn't add greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, right? And that's a real challenge. And I would say that if we leave carbon accounting to the side for a moment, I think that's what we really need to focus on, right? How does a company can continue to create value to society and to create value to investors without adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. And I feel with that concept, leaving carbon accounting aside, it is definitely, I would say, a very clear concept, but a very challenging transition, right? And I feel that is the tension that we have because we have clear clarity in terms of the destination that we need to reach But we also have clarity about the many barriers that we have in front of us to reach that destination. And, of course, when you start adding technical details and carbon accounting details and all of that, then it it can get complicated. But I feel the concept and the destination is clear. And I feel that's ultimately what all companies should work towards, because that is what we need to achieve as humanity.
2: Alberto, can I jump in with a question? You know, we see and have seen for the last 10 to 5 years, lots of companies making these sorts of commitments. I mean, as an ordinary citizen, it's really hard to understand what to celebrate. Is making a net zero commitment, perhaps validated by the SBTI, something worth celebrating? Or is that just the minimum that we should be expecting from every company right now?
1: I would say we are in a transition phase, right, as humanity. And I would say we are still at the stage where the majority of the economic actors in the world are not even committed to transition. So I would say every single commitment is actually important because it's the first step that is needed. But a commitment is completely insufficient, right? So I would say we should celebrate it as a first step in a long journey that we need to follow, but we should not celebrate it as having reached the the journey because the journey is is still you know to be followed. And so I feel that is the nuance that we need to bring to the narrative that I feel sometimes is missing, right? We have people that are very critical of Netsu as a concept, that feel that Netsu is being used as a greenwashing tool and it might be true and we have people that say no wait this this is you know the first step that companies need to take or financial institutions or countries or cities and we should not at all discourage entities from taking that first step right and both are right so I think that we just need to put it in perspective of the journey and the transformation that needs to happen but I, I think we should celebrate it as a first step but not as an accomplishment
2: we should celebrate it and who as citizens can we look to? to hold these companies to account? Is it the media? Is it civil society? Is it SBTI? Who's checking on these claims and progress?
1: Well, something very interesting is that, I would say, we are moving from, you know, I would say, this signature of the Paris Agreement five, well now, seven, seven years ago almost, then the rule book that was finalized recently, and outside the real implementation in the real economy, I think what we're seeing is there's a growth of actors and initiatives uh, that basically are becoming part of the implementation machine, right? And I would say what we need is a growing ecosystem of actors that basically help us transition towards that end point. And uh, from an accountability point of view, I would say we need an ecosystem of actors, right? We need NGOs, we need journalists, we need rating agencies, benchmarking agencies, civil society, advocacy groups, we also need watchdogs, you know, regulators. We need the whole ecosystem to really create accountability that is needed, and I think we should acknowledge that and understand that, you know, in this puzzle of actors, you know, each of us play a role, right? But we need to create and enhance the ecosystem.
0: And we need verification bodies, like the Stanford, who can underwrite the claims that are being made and who can confirm boots on the ground that impacts, uh, climate impacts were achieved as they were claimed. So, so that's really our, our mission at SustainSet uh, to bring this, this credibility dimension to climate action and particular corporate climate action. Yeah, Alberto, you talked about some of the, the limitations or criticisms that the science-based target initiative has faced, is facing the criticisms around the concept of net zero. Let, let's unpack some of those, if you want. We've, we've talked before, and, and it made headlines in the news, the, the Corporate Climate Responsibility Monitor report that was published a few months ago. It was a pretty detailed and thorough attempt at assessing corporate targets, corporate commitments, uh, and they raised quite a number of, of issues around what's happening right now, and there's four sort of issues that I'd like to discuss with you to understand your perspective and compare notes on the solution that we can, can implement as a community of actors to solve those problems. I think the first issue is, is really a basic tracking and disclosing emissions, even before setting a target, there's still too, too few companies that do a good job at disclosing their emissions. And we see it specifically in the scope 3 space. So scope 3 being indirect emissions that usually come from whatever goods or services that a company would buy or sell. We've been doing a lot of work in the scope 3 space. I know that uh, CDP and the Greenhouse Gas Protocol has also done a lot of capacity building work to make it easier and simpler for companies to disclose their emissions. So why are still those companies lagging behind? Do you think it's a willingness problem? They're not really looking at it seriously. And now that the EU and the US are regulating and making it mandatory for companies to disclose, do you think we can expect an increase in quality? Is that what we need? Basically, regulations to push, push companies to do a good job? Or is there something else that is missing? Is is there a technical problem that we're not seeing? Or any other reasons that is holding companies back from doing a good job at reporting their greenhouse gas emissions?
1: Yeah, thanks, Marianne. Well, I think there are a number of challenges. And let me give you an anecdote or just a fact. Yesterday, I I read news about a study that was conducted. I can't remember the, the author, but basically I think it was well, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong name, but they were analyzing how companies are managing ESG data, and they concluded that basically for the 500 largest public companies, which is some of the largest profits in the world, 55% of them are managing their ESG data in spreadsheets, right? So think about that. The 500 largest public companies are managing their environmental social governance data in spreadsheets. So I would say, I think we are very far from what we need to create, I would say a robust data baseline globally.
0: And so what we want as a community then is it that those companies actually handle ESG data, including climate data, the same way they're handling financial data and give the same level of scrutiny and have the same processes and same level of rigor with climate and ESG data as they have with financial data, is that the message we want to send out there?
1: Exactly. I think I think this is this is the message. I don't think right now it's being treated with the same level of rigor. And I think we are the economy, companies, financial institutions are not investing as much as it is needed to create strong data systems. And that's the first challenge that we find, right? Because when you don't have robust data systems, then basically everything else becomes more complicated. And when you don't have strong assurance systems in place, then everything else, becomes, and when you don't have clear standards, then, and all of that is what we have right now, right? And I would say that's the, the I think what I find very interesting and hopeful about these developments with SEC and ISSB and the regulators in the European Union, EFRAC that basically they are, on the one hand, creating the expectation that large companies will have to disclose relevant climate data or sustainability data more broadly, and also that they are setting a common baseline in terms of the quality, the level of assurance, et cetera. And I think that's going to incentivize for companies to invest in data quality, which is one issue. It's going to, of course, create some common baseline. One of the challenges I have to say is that if you look at ISS, ISSB, uh, the sustainable so development standards of, of the EU and ISSB, they're still not aligned, right? So company search is going to be subject to different expectations and regulations in different regions, but it's going to improve for sure. And I think that's going to eventually also impact not only scope and scope to data but also scope-to-data. Because ultimately, if companies and their suppliers have better quality data, then they can also have better yeah, scope-through reporting as well. But today, it's a, is a real challenge.
0: So what we're saying, Alberto, is that we need clear and strong and ambitious regulations coming from the EU, the US, other countries. And we need harmonization in standards. It took like, I think a hundred years to get to where we are with financial accounting. And we don't have a hundred years to get carbon accounting right and uh, harmonized across the globe. Uh, so getting uh, harmonization across standards and really strong regulations is probably what corporate need to get their act together on, on climate disclosure. The second question I had, Alberto, really builds on, on the question that Lucy was asking earlier. Is setting targets something we should celebrate? And I would add, especially when those targets aren't covering the entirety of a corporate emission. Uh, and that's what the report, the Corporate Climate Monitor report unveiled, that some of the companies that have targets approved by SBTI don't really include their scope three emissions and those can really be significant at times. So how can that be the case, and, and what can we do to fix this?
1: Yeah, what the the report analyzed was basically 25 large companies that had set net zero targets. Only one of those companies had set net zero target that was actually validated by the SVTI, and I would say the rest had a net zero ambition. But I would say the reality is that I feel for many of them, and zero Ambition had not yet reached the stage of having the actual targets and implementation plans that are needed to reach that ambition, right? And I think that's what the report is really highlighting. And I think this is true for many companies that only show Scope 3, but also for Scope 1 and Scope 2. And I think it relates to, to what Lucy was saying, because I would say, and you know, you can you can look at the half full or half empty glass. And I would say, of course, you know, it is important that companies have embraced the concept of net zero. As a first step, we need to make sure that, of course, they really mean net zero. They really mean a decarbonized business.
0: And so, how can you check that? How can you check if they've embraced the concept or if it's coming from the marketing department? How do you make the difference?
1: So I, I think those are the steps to follow a commitment to reach net zero, right? And I would say definitely the second step is okay. Now you have your ambition to reach net zero emissions. Now you need to set the targets to decarbonize your business model. Then you need to set your transition plan. How you are going to allocate capital? How you are going to reformulate your products? How you are going to change your procurement practices? And uh, and that needs to be made very transparent because of course it has significant implications for uh, shareholders and for stakeholders, so we need very clear transition plans and then we need to have clarity about how the company is going to be assessing progress and disclosing progress and that's again where uh, all disclosure elements become very relevant, right? Um, But I think we need all of that. Yeah. I would agree with that. We need all of them.
0: As an individual, when I look at a company's net zero plan, what I look for is their transition plan. And I'm looking for evidence that the company is at least researching how to change their business model and in the process of redefining the goods and the services that they're selling, because business as usual uh, isn't going to get us to net zero and unless company has formulated a clear decarbonization plan internally and is starting to shift resources away from high emitting production processes and high emitting goods towards low carbon and uh, circular economy type business models, then net zero uh, remains wishful thinking and, um, and marketing and communications. Uh, So as a person, that's what I'm looking for, primarily, where is the transition plan and what does that mean from a business model, product line perspective for the company?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly what is needed. And that's why the disclosure of transition plans is key, the disclosure of targets and yeah.
0: On your third point, Alberto, about reporting and monitoring progress, is this something that the science based target is, is looking at? Are you going to hold those companies to account and verify that they're delivering against their plans?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's something that we are really doing in the SVTI. So we just released our latest progress report last week. And this is the second year in which we actually assess progress company by company and we disclose the assessment of progress company by company. This year, we actually released a dashboard that is available on our website where you can check for each company that has fed science which targets, how much progress they have made against their targets, and you can download the data and use it to, to reassess companies. What we found is that some companies are disclosing data that allows us to assess progress and others aren't, right? and it's part of, part of the same, and so we identified the need to actually develop a monitoring, reporting, and verification standard that sets very clearly what companies are expected to report, how they're expected to report, but also how we will assess progress against targets, because, of course, there can be different ways to assess progress against targets, and ultimately, uh, we also need to determine how we're, how we're going to handle non-compliance Right. And so all of that is part of how we plan to evolve our monitoring, reporting, and verification work in the SBTI. And ultimately, what we need is to incentivize companies to set targets, but also to incentivize companies to deliver on their targets. And we want to make sure that uh, SBTI plays its role in, in this journey for companies.
0: Thanks, Alberto. It's, it's really great and exciting to see that you're working towards that transparent monitoring, reporting and verification process, because it's the only way us as citizens can know which brand we can trust, right? Uh, is if companies uh, share their data and, and are transparent about how much progress or how little progress they're making. One of the the four, I mean, the force sort of key issue that was raised by the report, Alberto, is one that that we're very familiar with, and I know you and I have discussed that many times in the past. You know, it's this issue about offsetting. It seems that we're still a long way away from uh, seeing corporates use offsets in the right way and see corporates buy uh, the right type of offsets. So we have an offset quality problem and we have an offset use problem. So, so what is the the solution there, and what is the science based target sort of position on offsetting?
1: Yeah, thank you, Maria. So, I think exactly as you said, it's something that, yeah, that has been I would say uh, an area of collaboration between the gold standards, of the SBTI. And when we started uh, making progress in science, we started years ago, we saw this already as a potential problem, even before net zero was a dominant concept in, in the ecosystem, because the reality is that, I would say, companies feel the incentive to make grandiose claims around their climate progress, and in many cases, this is basically mainly informed by how much companies are actually helping finance activities outside of their value chain, but not necessarily uh, focused on how they are decarbonizing their business models, and I think that is just something that needs to change. I think the reality is we need the economy to decarbonize, we need companies to decarbonize their business models, and we also need to scale up finance from, from companies, and we don't need to mix these two, right? We need basically claims, or robust claims about how companies are decarbonizing their business models. And we also need to find ways to incentivize, um, finance from companies because, I mean, that is one of the key findings also from, uh, the IPCC in the six to seven report that they released a few weeks ago. We need to scale up finance. I and mean, if you look at where is the wealth concentrated right now, of course, corporates play a huge role, right? In shifting finance from, the current status quo towards the transition, not only to decarbonize their assets, but also to help decarbonize the economy.
2: I have just a few questions. So we've spoken a lot about incentivizing, but you also spoke about not having yet necessarily come up with your actions around non-compliance, so in simple speak, punishment. (laughs) I'm really interested to know, you know, I read an article yesterday on eco-business use that there's a 50-50 chance we will hit 1.5 degrees in 2026. And if you look outside climate-wise, you know, I'm feeling it. It could, for me, it feels quite plausible that that happens in three years. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your ideas around punishment. I'm just going to use really simple language. And also the elephant in the room for me, when we talk about achieving net zero or decarbonizing business models, is I start to question, are we talking about models of degrowth? And what does that really look like? Do we have any good examples of companies? Because it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't pursue profit or does it? So do we have any examples of businesses that really are redesigning their business models in ways that maybe don't challenge this concept of growth or does it demand that? So yeah, I will, I'll leave my questions at that. And just one idea that came to my mind when we spoke about accounting and climate was this idea that, you know, should salaries be tied to climate KPIs? Is that the future? So I'll leave that with you, Alberto, and... uh
1: to so see uh, yeah no, that's a that's a very good question ultimately it's all about incentives and positive and negative incentives right in the end companies respond to the incentives that are set by their shareholders and the financial system of course uh, creates many of these incentives and so i would say both negative and, and positive incentives play a role and we need both right we need incentives in terms of you know giving recognition giving In many cases, for instance, companies are implementing remuneration systems that are actually based on achievement of climate targets. And this is key, Um, just as companies also have remuneration for employees based on financial goals, right? They need to be treated the same, as as we were discussing earlier. And uh, so I feel that is part of the incentives. But also some of the negative incentives, as you mentioned, like for instance reputational risk or regulatory risks, they are also important and they play a role in in human behavior, right? Uh, and all of this is basically ultimately informed by by behavioral science as well. So I think all these all these notches that help us behave in the way that is needed to actually deliver a goal I think are needed, right? And so that way we need watchdogs, we need regulators, we need advocacy groups, we need scrutiny from media, but we also need incentives have investors that Prefer give a premium to companies that are decarbonizing consumers and companies that give incentives to procurement of products that are net zero aligned, low carbon products, et cetera. We did all of that. Uh, as Marion said, we don't have a lot of time. So we did all of those in place to actually move at the pace that we need.
0: We need all the tools in the toolbox. I couldn't agree more, uh, Alberto, and and all the incentives that can push corporates towards more ambitious climate action as well as disincentivize them from continuing business as usual and continuing to emit uh, are needed. Those incentives will come from regulations. We talked about the new regulations that are uh, creating the right type of incentives for companies. It's also going to come from all of us as consumers. I mean, we choose the products we buy and the brands we support. So every every time we spend money, it can become an act of uh, activism and it's a choice. Every time we vote, every time we choose a transportation mode, all our day-to-day decisions are creating uh, small incentives that add up to bigger incentives for those companies. I really like the the way of framing it as a a series of incentives that need to be shaped uh, properly, Alberto. Thank you so much for this really inspiring conversation. Alberto, it was really great to hear the work that's underway with the Science-Based Target Initiative to create more accountability uh, and more transparency around how corporates are delivering against their targets. So we are, we're going to be um, looking out for the leaders and the, and the ones that are falling behind and, and look for ways to give them the incentives to be more ambitious and move faster. Thank you so much, Alberto. Thank you for, for spending this, this time with us. And looking forward to to seeing you again very soon.
2: That concludes this month's episode of How to Net Zero. To learn more about this episode and our guest today, visit sustaincert.com, How to Net Zero. Our podcast is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover this by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast platform.